Hello, welcome to Path to Hogwarts.、Uh, I'm Henry. Hello, everyone, and I'm Katrina. Yeah.、Um, so this is gonna be a pretty awesome episode. It's gonna be just the two of us, and we're gonna be talking about、uh, some interesting, fascinating innovations、uh, and startups in the childcare scene. Correct. We Henry and I took the time to look up what are the latest innovations in family childcare businesses and in、um, also in technology and how、um, these innovations can help childcare providers run their business operations more smoothly,、um, grow their businesses, and kind of make it more easy to be a childcare provider. Yeah, and we made sure to include one startup from the Minnesota Twin Cities area, which is where Katrina and I operate. As childcare consultants, yeah, we hope you guys will enjoy our conversations. And、uh, one thing that that comes up in the conversation is a <laughs> interesting、uh, detour that we got into on the future of childcare and virtual reality.、Uh, so everything we said in that part is personal opinion,、uh, opinions that just represent. Us. It does not represent the organization we work for. It does not represent anybody else. And and we are trying to make this podcast a a bit more open to you know takes and perspectives because it's a podcast. You know, if it's all information and knowledge, you can just look it up online. But we are trying to make this more open for you know for us to talk about、uh, fun things and opinions. And let us know how you like that as well, right?、Uh, Without further ado, hope hope you enjoy. So the topic of today's episode is on the latest innovations in childcare. Yeah, it's something I'm pretty excited about because、uh, I'm very into technology startups and their potential in the field of early education. I think it's I think part of it why、um, researching innovations in the field is important is because. Uh, you know, every state faces some kind of a childcare crisis or a challenge or a shortage, whatever you want to call yep, it. Yep. And、um, you know, usually you think about when there is a need out there in the market, you have people who come up with ideas to meet that need.、Um, it felt like in childcare is not the same thing, because、um, there is such high demand for the service,、um, and there is not enough. Um, childcare business or entrepreneurs that are working out there to meet the need, and as、um, you know, as we know, as we work together at First Children's Finance, we know that、um, you know childcare is not just a business; it's also a community asset, and、uh, support is needed from all fields. So, and looking into these innovations,、uh, potentially that would kind of spur growth in the industry and support these. These entrepreneur or or these communities that are trying to make a difference and、um, create more available childcare slots for their community, because as we know, that directly impacts economic development of all communities. Yes,、uh, absolutely.、Uh, I think that's one unique thing about the field of childcare. It's still very labor intensive, and it probably will always be because we value having human beings taking care of our kids, and. All of these are labor hours. All of these are actual people、uh, dedicating time, dedicating energy on taking care of children. I think that partially contributes to、uh, a relative slow pace. I'd say、uh, in innovation in the field of childcare. These past two years, we're seeing a lot more 
uh, startup uh, or innovative business and tech ideas uh, in the field of early education. Yeah, shall we uh, start with one of the really cool startups we looked at? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, family childcare has been kind of you know we've seen a slow decline of family childcare providers in the market, and um, we we don't know yet. What the cause is. Um, certainly, we know that some characteristics such as low pay, long hours, um, are contributors to a lack of family childcare providers in the field. So, see, looking into startups that are making a difference on family childcare was really important. Mm, yes. And and some of those startups uh, was Wonder School. Um, I believe it started in California. And um, this guy thought about what could be a way for 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 them to support family childcare providers to run their programs smoothly. So they came up with this idea that they would provide um, they'll provide technology training and ongoing mentorship and, and, and a supportive community for family childcare providers to start their business. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in in his model, um, you know, you would still be the the owner of the childcare business. Um, you'd still run your family childcare care in your home or you can, you know, I believe you can also, um, you know, rent a space as well. If you don't want to run it out of your home, you would pay a fee to get the brand and the name and the, and the curriculum and all that goes with it, along with the support, which I think it was, it's really, it's a really cool idea because mm-hmm. being as um, a family childcare care uh, provider, you know, you have a lot of responsibilities. You know, you have to care for children, you have to cook, you have to clean, you have to manage your, you know, business, you have to take care of your uh, outdoor play area, right? You you wear too many hats. And um, the technology support, operational support, just lifts one, one burden out of the child care provider that they can focus on caring for children and mm-hmm. delivering high quality programs. So if I want to start a family child care business, I go to Wonder School and... Uh, they just do all the business things for me. Like, do they do they help me with licensing, or what? What? what how? How do they like help me if I'm starting something? Yeah, I think uh-huh. it looks like they support family childcare providers on four stages in uh-huh. starting the business, which includes lot you know kind of guidance for licensing. Uh-huh. Um, it includes kind of environment set environmental you know setup support. Um, you know, so they will help me like website. decorate like my house as well. Yeah, probably doing a little bit of interior oh. design for your family childcare. Um, and then they also help you market the business. So, um, you know, kind of marketing guidance and supporting you and how to host tours. So, so they will like run my social media campaigns and um, post like Google ads? I'm, I'm not sure about that. Okay, that, that, I'm, I'm just curious, like, because I, I, this is a version of what we do as well, right? So yeah. it's good for us to learn. Yeah, and then they also support, um, you know, kind of operations of the business where they provide the administrative tools to kind of track enrollments and wait list um, and all that, um, you know, good stuff to, to so, run. So they will like uh, help you financially plan it, like, you know, tuition rates versus your costs and stuff, um, like budgets? I do not, I did not, uh, I did not, they, or at least I could not find it anywhere on uh-huh. there on their advert marketing materials uh, on whether they provide financial support. I uh, don't believe so uh, because their um, kind of their expertise in kind of providing that coaching and training and technology and, and the community to operate their program. I don't think they they went in the lane of providing financial support. Like so do providers access all this support from like 
real people or from I believe a, because a they, software? Yeah, I believe they have they, they, these are real people because um, they have that one-on-one -on -one consulting uh, uh, that they offer, and I believe that was over the phone and. Um, um, you know all of you know marketing design and all of that so I believe they get that uh, probably it's limited um, uh -huh. you know to how much these providers can access these consultants or um, you know these uh, technical support staff that can help them huh so so they basically do what we do but for a fee and we do it for free <laughs> okay. that, that almost sounds right except for we do not um, kind of support providers on doing their you know kind of providing them administrative tools and uh, building their own, you know, building their website. Yeah, I guess we don't have a full uh, software suite to, to, for providers to like run um, their business. We, we do have like our tools, but not like a software tool. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. and, and, pro and we don't, and as you know, we know that we are not involved in, you know, quality um, as much. Me quality meaning right. like curriculum and, uh, you know, child development and uh, all that, you know, that oh, is not our area. They, they do that. Yeah, they, 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 you know, promise parents that, uh, you know, all their, all the programs that are part of their network, they meet the quality and state safety standards, uh -huh. which uh, go above and beyond state licensing requirements. So, uh -huh. um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're, you know, they have these standards that if you want to be part of the Wonder School network, then you have to meet, uh, you know, you have to have certain quality standards. That go certain with curriculum, it. maybe. Yeah, yeah, assessments and all assessments. That, that, that go along with quality. Oh, so I guess another thing is uh, they offer a good brand that these providers can leverage because there is kind of this quality assurance with uh, the rigor of the academic programming that uh, a Wonder School family childcare program would offer for someone who's seeking new childcare options. Mm -hmm. When they find a given family childcare provider and know that they work with Wonder School, there is a certain trust or credit within that that says well they will be offering certain curriculum and assessment that makes these providers more competitive uh it makes it easier for family childcare providers to recruit mm -hmm. um you know they're in california new york uh, i believe they just opened an office in, i mean in some places in colorado as well. uh -huh. so it looks like they're slowly becoming national um organization that is supporting uh, childcare providers I thought it was really cool that anyone can become, um, can, you know, can choose to do this. Uh -huh. uh, they just ask for a little bit of experience in, um, you know, they say if you've had experience caring for children, informal or formal, you know, formal or informal, uh -huh. um, you can um, enroll and kind of, you know, go through the process of um, becoming a licensed family childcare provider and getting their support. I thought another interesting, uh, which I don't know how updated that is, but I, I found somewhere online that they charge about 10% uh -huh. um, of their actual enrollment of, the, oh. uh, of enrollment income okay to um, you know for providing all these support services and I thought that was important and yeah. um, it was for free to help you set up mm -hmm. so you don't they don't charge you anything until you're open and you're actually receiving income yeah that's a really good deal for people who, who are trying to start and as we often see it you know, these are people who are full of cash and capital. They, they mm -hmm. want to save as much as possible uh, as they start. Uh, I wonder how that would impact the margins of these Wonder School providers, because it's not a high margin business being a family childcare. Yeah, I just wonder how, how, how well they're doing on that front. Yeah, I, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting question because 
we know that family childcare providers are um, are not making a lot of money, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and part of it is based on my experience. Part of it is you know these providers sometimes it's hard for them to keep full enrollment. Yeah, and uh, their rate structure might be. Um, you know, might be different and it's not there, it's not bringing them a lot of, it's not consistent and it's impacting their revenue. Um, it also, um, they're collecting income, especially if you um, have families who are on assistance program. Uh, sometimes providers lag behind on kind of, you know, collecting those payments. And um, and I feel like having that program and an operation system that um, kind of does that for you or supports you in the process that makes it easier for providers to collect income to stay on top of um, collecting revenue. So um, I think there is both sides. Um, you know, one benefit I definitely see is that, you know, they, you know, they, they're able to collect their revenue on time because there is a system and there's a better tracking. Yeah, uh, I mean, I agree. If I were choosing between 10% versus not having operational support, I definitely choose the 10%. Uh, yeah, because I think for any business, certainly family childcare, the full enrollment, the income is the number one item. Another issue with like margin in family childcare is, as you said, lack of enrollment. So you're basically operating with a high cost, either in the form of your rent or you know, your your utilities, your, your cost of taking care of the child and your labor hours. So all of that cost is more or less fixed. You need to spend a certain amount every month, but. If you don't have enough income, enough enrollment, that's what—that's the biggest contributor to low margin. And I think what's what's also interesting is that I know that for family childcare providers, they are isolated in their work because they're home with their children mm-hmm. all day, and they don't get they don't get to communicate with their peers as much or be in contact with other uh, childcare professionals in, in the field as much. So I feel like having that community support, it is so critical because that opens door to providers being in contact with other professionals and, mm-hmm. and not feeling like they're alone in this. And, you know, there's other people who are doing it and sharing their experience and challenges and opportunities. Any other cool facts on, on Wander School? No, I can't think of it right cool. now. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't matter. Just. I wonder if we want to move on to uh, another place that I research. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear more. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, for folks out there, uh, Katrina and I um, each took on some research task for, for this episode. So yeah, uh, let's talk about one startup that I research in the childcare field. This one engages a couple popular trends, uh, buzzwords that we're familiar with, such as uh, iPad application, online platform, e-learning, artificial intelligence. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, this one uh, gives capabilities to both providers and parents. Uh, the company is called ByteMac. It is a online learning application uh, driven by artificial intelligence technology. It offers a personalized uh, tutor teaching education application for children that is very focused on computational thinking. Um, so Can you explain more what computational <laughs> thinking is? Yeah, so it's something I looked into a little bit more as well. Uh, I think they originally started trying to teach children straight up how to code because the idea being technology will become more ubiquitous over time. So beyond writing, beyond reading, Technology is becoming a fundamental skill 
for the workforce of the future generation. So their thinking is they want to help them, you know, help the children of the next generation learn technology, learn computer science. But okay, good. We're safe. I thought we're making our kids become robots. They like compute. <laughs> become make them computerized. <laughs> it's, not, it's not robotics thinking. It's computational thinking. But but I I think they, they so from the report I was seeing it seems that that's what the the startup what what Binax started off with. But over time. They probably made decisions to shift course a little bit. So now their focus is instead of just straight up coding, it's computational thinking. And uh, there are a couple components there that they listed off, including logic, creativity, algorithmic thinking, modeling, and simulations. So they basically take in all of this content uh, and designed a comic book with gaming uh, components in that iPad application. So that, that's the product. Uh, the main product, uh, probably the only product, is called Marianne in Logic Land. Uh, I repeat the name, Marianne in Logic Land. Uh, make sure I got that correct. A child would just simply open the app, and then they would see kind of a comic book setting, and uh, they play a role of um, Marianne. So it's a girl, and uh, you see a storyline there. Um, you know, go and go on an adventure with Marianne. She feels Marianne feels like she is the luckiest girl in the world. She lives in New York City, loves to go to Central Park, especially enjoys watching squirrels play. And one day, she met a new friend, a squirrel named Hazel, who could talk to her. And Hazel will talk to Marianne and take her to mysterious city under Central Park, the magical Logic Land, where things are not what they seem. Uh, um, so so that, that that's kind of a setting that they have with this app. And um, I actually looked at uh, an example game that they have. Um, uh, it, it asks children to drag shapes uh, into the right places that match uh, the shape. So you drag a square to match a square. And there are circles and uh, triangles as well, as an example. So it makes learning fun. Uh, yes. Or an experience, better said. I, th I think that's what they're trying to do. I wonder how that relates to, like, how could that be applied to the childcare business? Yeah. Is it individual parent task or is it provider related? How do you think this will, will impact the childcare business? I see this as one more tool for uh, at least a family provider. Okay. Um, you, you, know, uh, you can basically add this to your curriculum, to your weekly schedule. Say you know, uh, beyond reading, writing, uh, music, uh, our kids will also learn computational thinking. I'm trying to distinguish between computational knowledge and computational thinking. How are those? How how is computational thinking different from knowledge? My sense is that the knowledge is more, you know, how do you code? How how does a software look like? What is a typical software structure? Thinking will more just be the fundamentals, like uh, being able to use logic, being able to think creatively. Um, so I will almost think of this as someone who is good with computational thinking will learn computational logic really, uh, will learn computational knowledge really quickly and easily. Okay. Yeah, at least I think that's the thesis uh, of, the, of the app as well. Um, some of the really cool things, cutting edge things they're trying to do, one is personalization. Because it's powered by artificial intelligence, uh, each child who engages the app uh, will have a personalized curriculum. 
Um, so one example they gave is uh, gender is definitely a factor. So girls who receive this education would um, receive uh, a technical, a technology education that appeals to their interests, and boys will receive the same content, but in ways that engage their interests. So personalization is one thing. Another thing that stands out, uh, additional value they offer is data analytics driven feedback. That the results or outcome of the learning of every child will be able to be fed uh, to dashboards that uh, a teacher, a provider, or a parent will be able to access and see how their kids do. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I think artificial intelligence is a very interesting topic, but I always wonder about, you know, who holds this data? Who is the owner of, you know, these, you know, young children as, you know, if, if parents and teachers and schools, who, you know, who has access to this? Is it how do we, probably we don't, you know, as, if, as this is being developed, probably still not, but this is worth of us discussing, you know, who should hold these data? Who is the owner of and this how, development who, who should who can access these data who should be prohibited from accessing this exactly. data and you know how do, how how do we best leverage all this information maybe in some places they need to be integrated in some places they need to be protected these are very relevant questions that the next startup that i research uh is very relevant with so we should continue we, sh that we should talk about that when i talk about my next startup yeah they so I thought this is really cool. It gives capability to providers and to, to parents. And uh, startups like this is uh, more and more popular in China. You see various early education specific uh, startups that basically give additional capabilities to teachers and parents. Uh, that field is actually very competitive. Some of my friends work for those companies. Uh, and I also, you know, I, I, I think it's really important that, you know, um, each child gets, you know, that personalized, whatever needs it is, because it goes back to the idea that uh, not every child is the same and can be fed the same type of educational information. I think it's really cool that, you know, this, this app will allow for personalized curriculum. Yeah, the, 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 it seems that their vision is really cool. Uh, the actual product seems to be uh, halfway, like on its way to get to that, that, that grand vision. But it's definitely on some good directions. Yeah, because uh, it cultivates the early interest and it probably, you know, feeds the child that information to continue developing their early on interest in whatever field that may be. Yeah, uh, and uh, the founder CEO is a pretty good female entrepreneurship story. Uh, her name is Ana Sofia. Monte Blanco. I hope I didn't butcher that name. You probably but did. I probably did. <laughs> yeah, and and she she is uh, uh, she started in sales. Uh, she was a sales exec, sales rep in the nineties and early two thousands. And according to her LinkedIn profile, she spent some time doing home care to family member. Not not sure if it's children, but immediately after that, uh, she uh, became a account manager. So sales again in Oracle. So after Oracle, um, after Oracle, she started this business. She started it in 2016. Yeah, I, I just thought that that's a pretty good female entrepreneur story as well. That's yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I found I found this to be pretty cool. But it appears though that they are 
they started in 2016 and it's 2019 now. They, they don't seem to be raising additional funds or being very active. So I don't know, you know, what what, what future holds. Definitely a cool idea though. Yeah, definitely in the right direction. Yeah. So. My other startup, uh, I don't think it's a startup though, um, but another, you know, innovative idea in the field, which is very similar to Wonder School, extremely similar, um, has, is, is my village. You know, same idea. They bring in these uh, providers who want to open a family childcare business and uh, kind of provide them resources and, um, you know, help them get established and then um, use their name, marketing techniques and, um, you know, to run their programs yeah. and be operational. What was different for, for my village was that they actually interview and screen providers so mm. one by one, whether you can um, join the program. I don't know if that, if that makes them a little bit more strict than uh, does Wonder School, because I know that their requirements to enroll providers was that you just had to have some kind of experience with children, either formal or informal. But, um, you know, I know that they have to interview and screen every provider in their program. Um, another cool feature that was different from Wonder School is that they uh, provide free program insurance. Um, you know, so it, it kind of a cost support for, for uh, family childcare providers. And yeah. I wonder how they fund that. That's a good amount of money. Yeah. I think, you know, the idea of insurance is, you know, if you're able to pull as many uh, businesses together and probably that, that drives the cost of that insurance a bit lower and probably mm -hmm. is built up into their fee. What was the purpose of the screening? Do they want high quality providers? They, they, yeah, they pride on choosing the right people for, for their programs. And, you know, they say that, you know, they handpick providers, meaning oh. they are going to select only the ones that match their program goals and their mission and um, their quality standards. Oh, so it's a lot focused on the education aspect of it. Are they also family childcare only, like uh, Wonder School? Yes, family oh. childcare only. And they have a, a more heavier focus on curriculum. Oh. It looks like they, um, you know, talk a lot more about the idea of a curriculum that has been built by industry experts and kind of, you know, priding on, on having that kind of service offered. Uh, and any, anything that's like fun that you found? Like what was like cool or fun about what they do? Um, I thought their messaging was, was um, centered around um, kind of helping providers optimi optimize savings mm. so the parents don't have to choose between affordability and quality. Oh, so that... Yeah, so that leads to believing they're trying to be low cost. That is really hard to achieve, but yeah. by um, you know by taking some of the costs like the insurance or the uh, you know these operational costs uh, to a family childcare provider, uh, that might um, provide the opportunity to provide you know uh, affordable pricing for families. Yeah, my experience with cost, and I would love to hear your perspective here as well. Um, is there's limited room for any family provider to cost significant cost because think about it the biggest cost is usually location either through rent or mortgage usually a provider who's starting a family business doesn't have that much choice there and then the second big cost is probably food for the children again there's limited room to cut uh, on food uh, if you once you decide on your food option be it organic or ethnic or so so that's that's tough and then you know the rest is also very children focused right it's the curriculum and the toys and the equipment 
and then it's the field trips, although you can kind of charge activities fees. So I just always feel like with the family childcare business, it's kind of difficult to, to generate more income, essentially more profit through lowering costs. But what is your experience with that? Um, I, I have to agree with you that, that um, it is really, really hard to um, you know, expect higher profits on. Certainly the margins of savings are so small because uh, as you mentioned, the higher cost will be location or occupancy costs as we call, which could be in the form of you know, utilities and, or rent or mortgage, whatever it is that you know, uh, you're operating your business from. And then the second is food cost. And we know that um, some providers access the food program and they're able to uh, minimize yeah. those costs. Um, yeah, the food program definitely matters. It can make a sizable contribution. If you're 10% family childcare, it can be like $10,000 for a year of subsidy with food. Right, yeah. right. But some, some of my clients though, they, they don't do it. Like they, they'd say they don't want the restrictions that come with the food program. So that's another thing that I ran into. Yeah, um, yeah, it's because there is a lot of, you know, you uh, track record, you need to keep um, information, you need to, and you know, store it and manage all of that. And um, it's a process, it adds work. Maybe we need to start up there to just help them do the food. Maybe a social enterprise, I don't yeah. know. Closing message for both of them would be that they're really driving that idea of having ch mixed age group children together and um, kind of the idea of uh, childcare in a home setting, in a family type setting and mm -hmm. uh, siblings being together. And, um, you know, that's a driving, you know, I guess this, this type of models that, you know, a family for families who, um, who value this type of care, who want all their children of different ages to be together, to play together, then, uh, you know, this is what they're, what the, you know, what these programs are trying to do to provide opportunities to, to providers so that they can continue to offer these services to families and communities across America. Cool. Um, so it's done with the closing statement. Maybe we can move on to uh, uh, the last final startup that we will talk about here in this episode. Um, Katrina and I decided for the folks out there that we need to do one startup that's locally based, that's Minnesota based, because we both work in the Minnesota Seven County metro area. So we want to uh, have one of our own, and indeed we found one. Uh, this startup is called Cedar Lab. Um, Cedar, I think it's named after Cedar Avenue or something related, maybe not, I don't know. There are many businesses named Cedar hmm. in, in Minnesota. Um. It, must be, it must be a popular name. <laughs> it's called Cedar Lab anyway. Um, it, it's a pretty accomplished up-and-coming startup. So it won the Minnesota Cup 2018. A Minnesota Cup is a local startup competition hosted by the University of Minnesota. The big idea is you apply uh, as an entrepreneur, as a new startup business, you're connected to resources. This includes investors, venture investors, uh, and uh, angel investors. And then you're connected to mentors who are experienced entrepreneurs. You're connected to financial customers. So. You know, pretty big event. Uh, it's been there for a couple of years, and in 2018, last year, they just added a new competitive division in education and training. So this this is dedicated to startups that is in the field of education and certainly early education. Yeah, this one won the 2018 uh, Minnesota Cup Education Division, becoming its first winner. Won the thirty thousand dollars prize. They also received a fifty thousand dollars grant from Amazon. 
So it seems to be a up and coming pretty pretty strong startup. It does data integration for schools and childcare centers. So think of it as a middleware.、Uh, standardize processes,、uh, integrates all these different sources and types of data,、uh, gathers and translates all types of、uh, existing data、uh, in one place、uh, for schools to access and use them. So. When I first saw this,、um, my immediate question is like, why do we need this? Like, or 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 I just don't know much about, you know, the need for data integration in schools. But it turns out it's a real thing. The thing is, student management in schools and centers has become more digitized,、um, specifically stuff like demographics, health, grades, course material. So you have all of that information for every student, and. Management for that is all digitized. When you digitize those things, each of these things is managed by a separate system, and they don't talk to each other. For a school, it's very difficult to exchange information between these systems.、Uh, one issue is security, right? These are student information, so、uh, once leaked, it's、uh, the the consequence is really bad. So, so that's a big issue because of all these security concerns、uh, with data privacy of students. Uh, right now, there are data sharing specifications, so standards and requirements that schools need to comply to, and those are very sophisticated.、Uh, the, these are things like school interoperability framework, very sophisticated. Compliance becomes difficult, and this is not just a U.S.-based problem; it's a worldwide problem. If you go one step beyond, it's hard because a lot of these schools don't have the technical expertise,、um, and many schools have to resort to a lot of manual data entry. So this is a lot of labor hours, or you know, costs and money, on staff.、Right? A center director's time is very valuable.、Um, I don't have much information about you know, <laughs> data integration、no. into the school systems, but it's I I、uh, I think there is many benefits as 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 there are drawbacks such as the security issue. Um, you know, I I I want I could not stop but think about like how many times when I was going from one school to another,、um, you know, kind of requesting the transcripts and doing this and、uh, doing、yes. that. So、um, that could make that process for the student much easier. There is a smoother transfer of records and not having to deal with all the paperwork. And however, you know, the the the, the security issue is a real one. It's a big one.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you posed a really good question. Why do we need this, and to what extent do we do transfer of data? I, you know, I would just have to hear what type of records are being transferred, and what is the purpose of those records being transferred. Who is the owner of that data? I, I honestly think ownership of data it's a real big issue. You know, you vol we voluntarily give data on every day in our lives. You know,、uh, just simple as making a transaction, we voluntarily give that. You know, with a credit card, we give that information, but. You know, the real question is who who has property rights to that? You know, is it my data or is it the company's data that I don't have control over? And the same you know, the same is in education. You know, what type of information is being collected from students?、Um, you know, what is being transferred and for what purpose? And、um, I think those are all really good questions that parents need to be aware of because as a child, as a five year old, what do you know about data? And you know, you're not even thinking about that.、Mm. Um. One big focus of theirs is data security. They they call it one of their overarching value proposition, and they also、uh, seem to emphasize a lot on transparency.、Uh, this is what they say: they say、uh, parents, teachers, and schools 
will clearly know who have access to the kids' data. So uh, that's the transparency part, is you know what's the data and who have access to it. Their biggest client right now is actually not a US-based client, despite themselves being based in Minneapolis. Their biggest client is New South Wales uh, School District, I think, uh, in Australia. This is a district that includes 2,000 students. Uh, oh, two, I'm sorry, 2,000 schools and a million students. So yeah, they're, they're, they're going places. <laughs> The founder is interesting. He, his mother was a teacher, and uh, one of his mother's constant complaint was beyond taking care of and teaching the kids, she had to do so much paperwork. That sort of inspired him to start this company. It seems to still be a small company right now. I can't even find their address. I just know that they're Minneapolis-based, hmm. according to their LinkedIn profile. Operating in a garage. Isn't yeah. that how most successful companies start? <laughs> yeah, I guess. But you know, you can do that in Silicon Valley. If you do that in Minnesota, you're gonna be really cold cool. in the winter. If you do that's, that from your garage. That's kind of true. Yeah. Yeah, so this one actually gave me a good amount of education on how digitized uh, student records are. Uh, it's so digitized and sophisticated now that you need middlewares that allow different systems to talk to each other. Yeah. I, and I love what you said about, you know, the idea of where this came from. And I think I see a tie between all these companies that we talked about. Like Wonder School tried to solve the problem of operations. There's too much paperwork. There's too much the business side of, you know, that providers don't have, simply don't have time to deal with. So I definitely see a tie in here in all these innovations. Spending on education technology is actually up a lot. So it's expected to be $250 billion by 2020. According to EdTech World, which is, I believe, a magazine on uh, EdTech. And uh, in Minnesota alone, as you accelerate north, estimates that there are around 70 EdTech startups right now. Minnesota seems to be ahead um, in education, you know, a lot of states and childcare as well. So I, I'm really proud to say that we're, we're part of this community and we're working together. Um, hopefully, we see more innovation coming into the childcare field, supports and providers not leaving the field, and it actually contributes to more people coming into the field and uh, finding the business of childcare fun and um, easy to do. So, what do you think is going to be the future of uh, early education? Mm, that's a great question, and I and uh, I I still believe and I know that that will be the case that um, childcare will still have to be delivered by high quality educated providers. Um, I hope to see more providers being part of quality programs, um, you know, kind of being highly educated, um, using curriculums, um, focusing on, on child development. And um, I foresee that these new technologies and innovations kind of freeing the way for the for the provider to do that well, to do to focus on children and quality well. Do you ever see a world where babies can be taken care of by robots? Never. So, if, <laughs> even if, but super smart robots, okay. not even that. Not even that. So if they look like humans, talk like humans, and, mm. and can emote like humans, you still don't think that's gonna happen? I, I yeah, you know, there is. Um, you know, there is the studies that um, you know, 80 percent of the brain, I believe, gets developed in the first four years of life in a in a child, and that development is stimulated by relationships that they have with their care providers and the family members. And I'm curious to know what you think. 
Yeah, I don't think the robots would replace our teachers. Uh, definitely not happening in our generation. Uh, but they can be a good help. Uh, they can complement the teacher's work. I definitely think there are fields that cannot be replaced by technology. Um, human interactions are critical to our mm. beings and to our existence in communities. Do you see it replacing a percentage of time um, of humans caretaker? That was my next point. I was gonna, it could be complementary to um, having that to you have you know, a small percentage of time. Like, but, but what would that percentage be to you? I do not know. I can't. I've not done my research. Yeah, that's fine. I feel like once we allow a percentage of that, there are lots of more possibilities that immediately come afterwards. For instance, the ratios. That right now, you know, that's a key. That's a key requirement for child caretakers. Is uh, one teacher or one caretaker can only take care of this amount of babies and children. Yeah. If you allow, if you say, but right now. It's only fifty percent of it of their time where they need to be extremely active in taking care of the children. Then one person is allowed to take care of more children. That means higher income for providers, higher income for centers, and um, yeah, you just open up a lot more possibilities. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I Katrina just did like a very reluctant nod. This is the most reluctant nod I've ever seen. <laughs> Maybe you know. If the world follows my path, we're all going to be taken over by Skynet and the Terminator is going to kill all of us. So, it's good to have you on, on that happy note. <laughs> on that happy note. Yeah, we can end this uh, episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye.